0: It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Elon Musk
1: is now the richest person on the planet. More than half the satellites in space are owned and controlled by one man
2: starting his own artificial intelligence company. Well, he's a legitimate super genius. I mean, legitimate.
3: He says he's always voted for Democrats, but this year it will be different. He'll vote Republican.
1: There is a reason the U.S. government is so reliant on him.
2: Elon Musk is a scam artist, and he's done nothing.
4: Anything he does is fascinating to people.
2: Welcome to Elon, Inc., where we discuss Elon Musk's vast corporate empire, his latest gambits and antics, and how to make sense of it all. I'm Joel Weber, sitting in for David Papadopoulos. For the first time on Elon, Inc., we're going to get you ready for Tesla's earnings call this Wednesday, and we have a little surprise to take the fun factor to ludicrous mode. To help us prep the popcorn, we'll convene Dana Hole, who's covered more Tesla earnings call than any other reporter I know. Hi, Dana. Good morning. Sarah Fryer, who leads the big tech team here at Bloomberg News. Hello. And Max Chafkin, senior reporter at Bloomberg Businessweek. Hey. But first, some recent topics we've discussed on Elon, Inc. have been back in the news. A big one. Anti-Semitism. Both X and Musk have been accused of amplifying hate speech on the platform. On Monday, Musk got a private tour of the Auschwitz concentration camp in southern Poland. Later... He participated in a discussion hosted by Ben Shapiro, a controversial media pundit. Let's listen. (laughs) I have (laughs) twice as many Jewish friends as non-Jewish friends. I'm like Jewish by association. I'm aspirationally Jewish. Sarah, what do you make of this visit to Auschwitz and and sort of this Musk non-apology apology?
4: It's extremely cringy. To go to a concentration camp to try to launder your image and say that you are aspirationally Jewish, basically like this happened to your people by association. I mean, I can't believe it happened.
1: Just welcome to the tribe, brother. Thank you. As one, as a Jewish American, I'm just so happy to have encountered another Jewish American, Elon Musk. I also agree. Why is Elon doing this, Mac? Cringe. So, our uh, editor, Naomi, joked yesterday that, you know, Normally, if you uh, commit an anti-Semitic faux pas, you have to go to the uh, Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. If you commit a world-historical anti-Semitic faux pas, if you allow hundreds or maybe even thousands of uh, crazy anti-Semitic accounts, if you buy into crazy conspiracy theories, if you, as the world's richest man, promote all this nonsense, then you have to actually go to Auschwitz. And, And so, yeah, I mean, he's, like, attempting to make things right, I guess. But of course, doesn't seem to be really addressing any of the normal stuff and is, and is claiming Jewish identity in an extremely depressing and cringeworthy way, in my opinion.
3: Just tr- struck me as like a very political. It's like all optics. It's like there is there is Elon Musk looking somber with, let us note, his three-year-old toddler on his shoulders.
2: And an Auschwitz survivor standing next to him, too. And the yep.
3: survivor survivors standing next to him. And, the, and then, like, the images that were released, it very much struck me. It l- looked like a, pl- a political campaign stop. Obviously, Musk is not running for any kind of office. But it had all of the stagecraft of a political moment during the week when Tesla is reporting earnings. And so for him to sort of take the time to fly to Poland and fly back, why now? It's all because of X and advertising, right, Sarah? I mean, this is still sort of an effort to lure the advertisers back. It's wild because this is the
4: only thing— that Elon Musk and Linda Iacarino are talking about. Linda's the the CEO when they speak publicly, like they're just doubling down on the how could you think we were ever anti-Semitic? Meanwhile, if you look at what Elon Musk is tweeting, there's there it runs the gamut. There's there's all sorts of anti-immigrant sentiment, all sorts of of you know, other race-tinged stuff and and he's promoting a lot of these accounts that are the worst of the worst. It is not just anti-Semitism, it is a wholesale embrace of people who were banned before, were considered dangerous to have on the platform in the name of his his free speech initiative. And so the funniest thing about this, about this event was
1: that Elon Musk and the European Jewish Association, which hosted it, started with this kind of thought experiment, like, what if we had X during the late Weimar period in Germany? Maybe we would never have had the Holocaust. And Elon Musk claimed, essentially, that, yes, if if we'd only had Twitter, you know, back in the late 30s, early 1940s, the Holocaust
2: never would have happened, which, like, I guess, you know, pay sign up for Grok, guys. OK, elsewhere in current events. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis dropped out of the Republican presidential race ahead of the New Hampshire primary. One of our mini Elon, Inc. pilots was all about DeSantis announcing his campaign on X with Elon, which was glitchy, shall we say? Yeah, I think we've got a, just a massive number of people online, so it's um, are restraining somewhat. So very glitchy. Sarah Fryer, how will history remember that Musk... DeSantis embrace?
3: Just, a
4: you know, a bad bet, right? But, you know, it wasn't the only candidate that he has aligned himself with. He also did one of those for RFK Jr., the known anti-vax conspiracy theorist. He's also been in, in X spaces with Vivek Ramaswamy. This is, is all kind of wishful thinking on his part, because... He would really like it if he didn't have to cozy up to either Trump or Biden. But sounds like that's what he's going to have to do. And he's already we've already discussed on this podcast that he, he has said he will not vote Biden. And so we do see a lot more Trump aligned rhetoric these days on X, including voting conspiracy theories.
2: Max, if... Ron DeSantis is out of the race. uh, Who is Elon's horse now?
1: I mean, we're already seeing I I looked uh, at at Elon's uh, X page earlier today and, you know, he's he's tweeting about 2020 election stuff. We've talked about this on the podcast before. He's been stop the steal curious, you know, for some time. And he is, you know, reiterating those concerns, sort of rebroadcasting or or promoting what essentially amount to like willful misreadings by Donald Trump and and Donald Trump type supporters of the 2020 voting results, among many other things. I mean, he is essentially, you know, moving towards Trump, as Sarah said. I mean, I think I think we're we're already seeing it. I'm guessing we'll see it more like like, frankly, like many billionaires who affiliate with the right. Right. Where like there were other candidates that they might have preferred. Uh, We have a New Hampshire primary today. It doesn't look great for Nikki Haley. And I think we're going to see this same evolution playing out among um, other people, not just Elon Musk.
2: Max, any Musk-Trump predictions? Obviously, Trump was a prolific tweeter before Musk purchased the platform. Trump obviously has not been active on X, but there sets up this dynamic where you've got Musk and Trump perhaps I mean, needing one another? First of
1: all, to me, Musk supporting Trump is like a foregone conclusion, basically. I think it's it's going to happen. I think you could argue it is it has already happened. The real question to me is, like, what happens, you know, after 2020, there were all of these right-leaning social networks that launched, you know, one of which was Truth Social, Donald Trump's company. And and then one, another one of them is X, essentially. And it, it does seem like X has a chance of, like, claiming that market. You do sort of wonder... You know, this is kind of a deep cut. I mean, you really have to be interested in sort of right-wing media and media landscape to care like what happens to Truth Social, Parler, Getter. What's the right-wing dating site, the right stuff? Like, there are all these sort of media business, media-adjacent businesses that seem like, their reason for being doesn't quite doesn't exist as much now that now that Elon Musk has so firmly turned X to that market. So in that sense, you know, I, I, it's like all gravy for Elon. I think I think the consolidation of the Republican Party probably allows, you know, X, honestly, to consolidate this sort of ecosystem.
4: But let's be clear, Trump does not need X the way he needed Twitter in 2020 or 2016 It is a completely different platform now, and Trump has managed to build up his own network that he has control over of email addresses, of phone numbers, of people who will hand him those $5 donations when he sends a scary thought. I think that that's really how we are seeing political fundraising evolve. And the idea that, you know, a politician needs to use X in order to to rally their base may still be in musk's mind which is why he he rewarded the candidates that were leaning into it but as we've seen that hasn't been successful for them and i think that what trump is is seeing with the platform is the same thing we're all seeing it is not as effective anymore for driving results with an audience the followers that it shows you you have are not all visiting the platform anymore so so i think In that sense, maybe Musk needs Trump more than Trump needs Musk at this point.
1: I I 100% agree with that, and I do think there's some question about whether Trump ever needed Twitter. Like, we I think there was a there has been a tendency to kind of like overstate the impact of social media, and in a lot of times, media kind of chases like whatever people are into rather than like setting the agenda. But with Trump, it it definitely is kind of has reached a different dynamic where he's basically been absent from this platform for a very long time. And it hasn't seemed to make a huge difference.
2: One more fallout of DeSantis exiting the race. There was a potential feud of the week, Max, from Elon Musk trolling economist Paul Krugman, who's a columnist at the New York Times. What what happened? Well, I mean,
1: I'm a little, as a Elon uh, feud connoisseur, I am sad to report that Paul Krugman, the um, Nobel Prize winning economist, Princeton University, New York Times columnist, well-known progressive liberal commentator did not take the bait. So So it's kind of a fake feud. Krugman trolled DeSantis essentially saying like, let's not forget how wrong uh, Ron DeSantis was on COVID, pointing to longstanding criticisms among the left that DeSantis kind of ignored, you know, basic CDC guidelines and so on. And Elon Musk responded like you are a disgrace to the economics profession, which Krugman sadly did not take the bait. And I'm mostly sad because it was sort of amusing to think of Elon as a connoisseur of like academic economics. Like he's like, oh, man, you know, you're just like disgracing Keynes or like like Elon has no idea who like it does not follow the the deep nuances of economics like he follows the. Wait, he's starting um, a
3: university and he has an economics degree from or business degree from Wharton. Come on. He has like some grounding in business.
1: As a but that doesn't mean he's like some kind of connoisseur of who you know, like academic Deep economics, state
3: academia. Yeah, he
1: doesn't know what whether Krugman's are disgraced anything. He's just responding to vibes.
3: If it's not a feud, if it's not, what what's below a feud, is it like a schoolyard scrap? It's like a it's like a we have.
2: I think it's a big nothing burger.
3: It's
1: like it's like on the hurricane. You have the one to five on the hurricane scale, but below that, it's like a <laughs> tropical storm. This is like a a tropical depression, maybe, I guess, as far as feuds go. M- maybe one to watch.
5: Yeah. <laughs> Wintry mix. <laughs> you know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers.
2: Okay, publicly traded companies like Tesla get to do these quarterly meetings where they reveal how much money they made or lost. It's a face-the-music moment that gives investors, analysts, and journalists a better look at what's happening in a given company's business. Dana, you are the Tesla pro here. How many earnings have you done, and can you give us a short history of Tesla's earnings calls?
3: So, I've covered Tesla since 2009. They went public in June of 2010. And I, I don't think I've ever missed an earnings call. So, that's what, 10 years, four times a year? I don't know. I've done like over 40, maybe 50 <laughs> earnings Humble calls brag. in my life. And they're pretty wild because if you've, so like most corporate earnings calls are pretty boring, frankly. Like the CEO reads scripted remarks. The CFO reads scripted remarks that basically repeat what they've just put out in the shareholder letter, and then they take questions from analysts that are like, congratulations on a good quarter, Bob. Like, can you give us some color about the yada yada? And it's just like very... Frankly, it's very boring. Like Tesla earnings calls are not like that at all. Like Elon is not scripted. He gets really pissed off at the analysts. He gets bored. And like a big question, like when this call starts, is like, ooh, what kind of mood is Dear Leader in? And we've had some really wild earnings calls over the years. I mean, at one point in 2018, he called Tony Sakanagi, who's like a great analyst at Bernstein, like, you know, that his question, he like didn't answer his question. He was like, this is boring and boneheaded. At one point, he went to YouTube and took twenty, spent 25 minutes talking to, like, a, a millennial who has, like, a YouTube channel. And they're just really—they're very interesting calls. And so much of, like, how the stock reacts is to what does Elon say? And then, like, what's the actual news from the call? Because it's all about, like, what does he say about, you know, things going forward? And the January call is always really important because it kind of sets out the expectations for the year. So tomorrow, the question is, like, are we going to get— ebullient, expansive, like wonderful Elon, or is he going to be like morose Elon talking about how they're digging their own grave? Like that's the big question on everybody's mind.
2: Elon is such a fixture here, right? Like how many of these has he missed in your time covering the company?
3: He's only missed one. He made this big show a couple of years ago about how he's like not going to be in the earnings calls unless he has big news to announce. And then there was one call that he missed, that the CFO led, that was great. And then Elon was back, and he just can't stay out of the limelight. Like, he's got to be the main character. Like, so, he's only, he's been on every single call.
2: Okay, so because this is a January call, this one is more year ahead leaning than a typical one, which would typically look back at the previous quarter. Is that right?
3: Yeah, yeah. Especially because Tesla has not given guidance for 2024. They have not said publicly how many vehicles they expect to deliver in 2024. We know that they delivered roughly... 1.8 million cars in 2023. So like, what is the forecast? Like we're seeing kind of slowing growth in the EV sector. Like EVs are still growing as part of the overall auto market, but it's not this like blockbuster 50% year-over-year growth. So that's a big question for investors. Are they going to say that they're going to deliver 2 million or 2.5? Like what is the growth trajectory? And then how much does Musk talk about all the other aspects of the business? Is he going to be like, we're an AI company? Or is he going to talk about... Energy or insurance or you know opti- the optimist robot. I mean, there's all these different sort of aspects of the business that that people are curious about.
2: And and what do uh, everybody who's watching the company? What, what do we think about what the 2024 numbers could look like? Especially after all the price cuts of of last year, but also pof- possibly the slowing demand.
4: Well, do they tend to to overpromise? You know, because I know like a lot of companies have the opposite strategy where they under promise and then they try to beat that. But historically, Tesla has said more good things are going to happen than actually end up happening. So what do we think?
3: It's kind of weird. They'll give like a range where and Musk will be like, well, like there could be a force majeure and things that I can't control, like earthquakes and pandemics and tsunamis. And like, I don't really know how things are going to go. But he actually tends to blame the macroeconomic environment quite a bit. Like, you know, on previous earnings calls, he's he's really bashed the Fed and high interest rates and been like, look, we could sell more cars if interest rates were lower. The fact that interest rates are high is making the cars too expensive for people, which is why they made this big gambit to chase volume over profit margins. And they could do that again. He could say, we're going to continue to dominate and we're going to cut prices and I mean, that would be one strategy. It's just that then then the margins are, are much smaller. But you know, Tesla has room to play with their margins, and we could see that again in 2024.
1: It also seems like there's like a real guidance and then an Elon Musk guidance. Elon will throw in, hey, like anything's possible, like full self-drive. There's this whole other category of stuff that doesn't relate to like number of units sold or like margins where the guidance is is whacked out. And kind of everyone agree. Everyone understands that this is like these are not real timelines. These are Elon Musk timelines. You know, I was reading an analyst note uh, that Dana sent me uh, just before we went on, and they're talking about. The question of robo taxis is anywhere from three years to a decade out. Like that's the that's the timeline that this analyst was suggesting, which is like a huge range. And it reflects the fact that Elon Musk has essentially said robo taxis are just around the corner basically every year for almost a decade. So it's like very confusing. And analysts have just learned to, I think, just kind of ignore slash discount some of those wilder promises.
5: You know success when you see it.
2: For the really fun part, the brains behind Elon, Inc. have created a special bingo card, which you can download at Bloomberg.com slash Elon, Inc. Or on the mini Business Week social media accounts. Max, what is earnings bingo and how do I play along? Okay,
1: so earnings bingo is this is
2: a thing that exists.
1: We did not invent this. You know, all credit to the Elon stands out there on Twitter, as well as the Elon critics, the Tesla Q army. Basically, anyone who has an opinion about this guy has been making these bingo cards for years. And the idea is you have a card, the one that we have, which you can go to uh, Bloomberg.com Slash Elon Inc and download and it it's twenty four squares plus
2: I love it plus the free space
1: Uh, I'll just tell you uh, so some of these are are ones that I think are definitely going to happen like these are this is like easy money some of these so so for instance yeah walk uh, me through some of the highlights okay so we've got B I N G G four that's Cybertruck that's come on that's a gimme that's practically a free space now B one. Is definitely less likely, I would say, and that one's what? Audibly puffs joint. So as I understand it, like my job at Bloomberg now, at least part of my job anyway, is I'm gonna be listening to that podcast as the you know person who has to listen for the audible joint puffing. By the way, that because, was B2. That was sorry, B2. Because yeah, yeah, it's not B2. enough
2: to listen just to puff a joint. Yeah, it has yeah. to be it has to be audible. Dana, do you have a favorite on here that you're going to hopefully get to scratch out?
3: Yeah. So I think what's really interesting is, you know, Elon just has this very peculiar way of speaking that all of his fans then adopt. And I am a big fan. I forget what the square is, but reasonably optimistic because, you know, (laughs) Elon will say I'm reasonably optimistic that we'll have full self-driving by the end of the year, or I'm reasonably optimistic that we will, you know, sell 50,000 Cybertrucks in 2024, um, And so the bingo card is really about Musk and his language and his very unique use of language and how he invents all these words that then enter the lexicon. Like, gigafactory is not a real word, but Elon started calling (laughs) his battery plant a gigafactory. And now every automaker and every battery company on the planet talks about how they have a gigafactory. Similarly, Megapack. Like, what the hell is a Megapack? It's Tesla's name for their, like, utility-scale battery product. So... I mean, I would love to get a linguist on the phone someday to talk to us all about this, but um, his use of language is very unique and it it is adopted by his legions of fans. And the other thing about the earnings calls is that like tens of thousands of people listen to them, like employees listen to them, fans listen to them, like a a lot of people dial in and, and listen. And it's not just like Wall Street analysts. It's like, Hundreds of thousands of people.
1: We talk a lot about on this podcast about like how to think about Elon. And I think on the last episode, Davey Alba compared him to Donald Trump, right, as a as sort of a political influencer and, and so on. But I was thinking like with the w- looking at this bingo card and thinking about the way, as Dana says, that Elon sort of remixes himself, like he has these tropes that he repeats and reuses. And, you know. I think the, the the sort of great oral poets, right? Like the the way that I think linguists believe that oral poetry, Homer and so on, was consumed was you'd have these like little like couplets or little bits of language that would then be arranged in order. And it's almost like that with Elon, where he's got these like catchphrases that just get get tossed in, and it becomes like a part of the fandom. As Dana said, it's something that the that his fans repeat and also that they look for, right? And it's it is like a, it, the experience of like one of these Elon Musk. Um, earnings calls, it's like not all that different from the Taylor Swift uh, concert, right? Where you see the snake and you're like, oh, the snake, like here it is. And Except here it's like, it's like Optimus or Dojo or the phrase, you know, digging our own grave or whatever. My other favorite square here is not many people understand this, which is just like a thing that he (laughs) says all the time and just really speaks to like, this sense of in elon fandom of that you're given access to this truth or really it's like a set of truths that are not well understood and if you understand them you are going to have you're going to get rich you're going to you're going to be a part of this it's not only going to be a source of cultural meaning but it's going to be a source of wealth
4: well, no, i was going to say like i love oh three refers to earth as a market because <laughs> that is just so how he talks about everything like are you with humanity or against it? We're fighting for our consciousness. We're fighting for the future of Earth. And referring to Earth as a market implies that there will be future planetary markets, which is, of course, his his worldview.
3: And because he uses these tropes so often part of the challenge of listening to a Tesla earnings call as a journalist or an analyst is that you almost get like a focus hangover because you have to listen very carefully for any change in nuance because that's what the news is. Like, is he slightly altering these tropes in a way that's either positive or negative for the future of the company? And is he backing away from, you know, Dojo or is he Talking down Cybertruck. I mean, on the last call, he v- very famously said that with the Cybertruck, we dug our own grave, and it was like, "Ooh, like what is that about, man?" So you have to listen very, very carefully for any kind of change in nuance or tone.
2: We dug our own grave with Cyber Cybertruck. Uh, no. Everybody thinks things are great better than themselves.
3: And it's kind of, it's it's just really wild. And Usually when I'm on the calls, I'm like blogging and I'm listening and I've got my bingo card. But I'm also like texting like employees and analysts and like fans. And everyone's like, you know, did you catch when he said this? Did you catch when he said that? And you, if you've never listened to an earnings call, we really encourage you to join along and play. And
2: go to Bloomberg.com slash Elon and download our First bingo card. I think we'll do this again. (laughs) Will we? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, so, <laughs> you have
1: to. This every, is the, the
3: great thing about the bingo card is that everybody wins. We only made one card. so Or like, everyone loses. We'll see or it.
2: everyone, yeah. yeah. What ha- what happens if I win? Do I get all that money that you were talking about, Max? Well, I just want to say, like,
1: it sounds kind of superficial to be— Dana opened this conversation talking about, do we get dour Elon? Do we get happy Elon? But, like, that actually matters. And, like, that's what, what Dana's kind of saying is that— Because he repeats these phrases, like, it sounds like we're just we're doing like theater criticism or something. But like the fortunes of this company, hundreds of billions of dollars, you know, hundreds of thousands of jobs sort of depend on like what Elon projects. And like, does he sound depressed, you know, when he's talking to this audience of analysts and fans? And like, it's such a weird it's just such a weird world we live in. And like, you can kind of understand I doubt this is a th- cause for Elon to believe in the simulation, but it kind of makes me qu- <laughs> just like question our reality when so much depends on, you know, basically how Wall Street interprets Elon Musk's mood,
3: yeah. The other thing that's really fun fun to do if you have a terminal is while he's talking, watch Gip post. and you can see the stock trade after hours in real time. And if he gets, like, Dark And if we get, like, dark Elon, you will just see the stock completely tank. And then if he's, like, ebullient and, like, very confident, you'll see the stock go up. And so that's, like, another trick of the trade that a lot of people do.
4: You all just learned a terminal function.
1: Yeah, I love that. Dan and I are going to be live blogging <laughs> on the terminal as well. So, you know, get ready.
3: People are also already criticizing our bingo card. We don't have a square that says uh, the limiting factor. We don't have a square that says, um, you know talks about population collapse. But to be fair, like he doesn't really talk about population collapse on the earnings calls. He talks about them like all the rest of the time.
1: You know what? Listeners, tell us what's wrong with our, our bingo card. Tell us what's missing. Make your own bingo cards. We, you know. Yeah, we'll be back in Q, we, for yeah, Q1. Yeah, in the couple, Q1 is, in is only three months
2: away. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> all right. That's <laughs> enough. Uh, let's call it. Uh, thanks for listening to Elon Inc. And thanks to our panel, Dana Sarah, and Max. Thank you.
4: Thank you. Always a pleasure.
2: This episode was produced by Stacy Wong. Naomi Shaban and Rehan Hermanchi are our senior editors. The idea for this very show came from Rehan. Blake Maples handles engineering, and we get special editing assistance from Jeff Crocott. Our supervising producer is Magnus Henriksen. The Elon Inc. theme is written and performed by Taka Yazazawa and Alex Segura. Sage Bauman is the head of Bloomberg Podcast and our executive producer. I'm Joel Weber covering for David Papadopoulos. If you have a minute, please rate and review our show. It'll help other listeners find us. Also, let us know what you think of Tesla bingo. See you next week.